every denomination has some weaknesses in it. Every, every denomination does. So there is no perfect denomination because there's no perfect people. And my Bible says there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. He didn't have a Methodist church and a Baptist church and a Pentecostal church. He has one church, blood bought. <laughs> bought by the blood of Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So I had to get that out there uh, this morning, first thing. So we're going to read, uh, first of all, from Matthew 28. If you would stand, and we're just going to read this text. And uh, then I'm going to ask Pastor Larry to pray, uh, ask God's blessings on us. So we got Matthew 28, verse 19, up here on the, uh, the PowerPoint. Let's read it together. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This is God's word. Amen. Preacher Larry. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Can I get just a little bit more juice on the microphone here? If I can't, that's okay. All right, and let's go to the first slide. First thing I want to discuss is, is baptism a sacrament or an ordinance? Um, and I'm going to give you just, there's going to be a little bit of history here, a little bit of theology, but, but it won't hurt you to learn a little something. Okay, so... I know we don't like school. We, we don't, we're, school's out for the summer, right? But uh, we're going to have a little bit of school this morning. But I promise it won't hurt you. Um, first thing we want to look at is this idea of sacrament versus ordinance. Now, the idea of a sacrament is that by partaking of a ritual or a rite, that grace is somehow imparted uh, to an individual. And uh, the RCC, which is the Roman Catholic Church abbreviation, by the way, they believe that the sacraments have saving value. Uh, in other words, taking communion, has, it bestows a, a salvation blessing, uh, water baptism. There's seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. Um, the biblical definition uh, of an ordinance, I prefer the term ordinance, is a, an, a ritual or practice prescribed by the Lord, Jesus, uh, to be performed by the church as an outward sign of the saving truth of the Christian faith. So it's an outward evidence of something that inwardly has already taken place. That water, and it was nice and warm, thank you, Brother Jamie. <laughs> Want to thank our baptismal committee, Jamie and Peggy Little and uh, Jerry and Becky Fife. Thank y'all for, for that. Um, we take things for granted. So somebody got to get up early in the morning and come down here and cut this water on and, and make sure it's nice and warm, and I'm real thankful. <laughs> I'm real thankful. And these folks that got baptized were thankful too. But um, 
the ordinance of water baptism uh, is something that's very important. And uh, let's go to the next slide. These are going to go quickly. Don't get nervous. So what qualifies something as an ordinance? You know, what, what gives something the, uh, the ability to be uh, prescribed or called an ordinance? And, and we've got several filters here. So let's talk about them. Number one, in order to be an ordinance, is something to be commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Number two, is it something that the early church did in the book of Acts? Do we see the early church practicing this on a regular basis? And then the third and final test, if you will, is, is the theological significance explained somehow in the, the epistles or the letters, Paul, Peter, uh, James, and John. If not, then it doesn't qualify as an ordinance. And we'll, we'll talk about that in some detail in just, in just a moment. All right, let's go to the next slide. We're rocking and rolling this morning. I'm trying to get you to the steakhouse <laughs> or the Mexican restaurant, whatever your preference is. Okay, number of ordinances. Now, again, the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. I'm not going into all of those. Um, we're going to deal primarily with the other two views. There is another predominant view that says there's three. That would be uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and foot washing. I know the brethren, Plymouth Brethren, practice foot washing, the Primitive Baptist uh, Church of God, maybe the Assemblies of God. Uh, let me tell you why I don't believe that foot washing is an ordinance, okay? I have participated in foot washing services. There is nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Jesus said, happy are you if you do these things. That's been some of the most blessed times I've ever had uh, and it's a humbling thing to have your feet washed and to wash someone's feet. Okay? So I'm not demeaning any group that practices uh, foot washing. But look with me, if you will, in John chapter 13. It, the, the practice comes from Jesus on the, the night that he was betrayed. He washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. By the way, I can settle a debate for you once and for all. Do y'all eat dinner or supper? If you're not eating supper, you're doing it all wrong. Now listen to me. Brother Brack Hems told me. Oh, he asked me, he said, Henry, do y'all eat dinner or supper? I said, we, we eat supper. He said, well, you're doing it the right way. He said, they don't call it the last dinner. <laughs> and I got my Bible, and sure enough, it says supper. All right. Now, <laughs> look at verse 6. Are we in John 13? Okay. Then come and see to Simon Peter. And Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and says, what I do, you do not know now, but you shall know hereafter. That's kind of my, that's my life verse right there. <laughs> God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know I'll figure it out someday. Um, but notice what Peter says to him. He says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I wash you not, what? 
Have no part with me. Then what does Peter say? He says, baptize me, Jesus. I want to be fully immersed. But what does Jesus say to him? But he is clean, every whit. You're clean, but not all. So the reason Peter did not need a full bath is because he was already clean. Foot washing does not represent the atonement. Foot washing is something that believers do, and it represents the ongoing cleansing. As we walk through this world, our feet get dirty, amen? And in that culture, their feet got dirty because they walked everywhere, and they wore sandals, and that's why it was, it was a practice of humility. So uh, let's pass foot washing through the, the three uh, litmus tests. Was foot washing commanded in the Gospels? Yes. Jesus said, happy are you if you do it. Was it practiced in the book of Acts? No. Is it expounded upon in the epistles? Do you see Paul waxing long and eloquent about the, the ins and outs of foot washing? No. All right. So why do we practice the Lord's Supper and baptism? I've got it underlined up on the PowerPoint up here. We do it as a matter of obedience, not to save us. You can get in that pool. You can get in there every Sunday. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart, you're going to go to hell. And there's a lot of people that have been baptized and they, they're not saved. Okay. Having said that, if you refuse to be baptized, you are in direct disobedience to the Lord. Because he commanded us to be baptized. Okay? So it doesn't save you, but it is a matter of obedience. Okay? I would not want to meet the Lord having not obeyed what he told me to do. Now, I know some of you will say, well, the thief on the cross didn't get baptized. I know, but the sand in the hourglass was kind of running out for that fellow. You know, we, we might could see where Jesus would give him an exemption. Plus, he, was, he died under the old covenant, too. Believers ought to be baptized. All right, next slide, please, fellas. Thank you. The meaning of baptism. Baptism is a means of identification. When you're baptized, you're saying identify, identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Jude Jews were not baptized into Judaism. They were born into it. That's why when John the Baptist was calling Jews to be baptized, it was a revolutionary kind of thing. However, when a Gentile converted to Judaism, he was baptized. He had to get into a, what's called a mikvah. It's very similar to what our baptismal pool is. It's, a, it's actually an immersion pool. And he would be fully immersed and proclaimed that he was identifying with the God of Judaism, with Jehovah. Now, uh, it was used for Jews also for ritual cleansing. Women, uh, and I'm not going to get into all that, but. There were certain rituals where women need to be cleansed and they would get into a mikvah. And it was an immersion pool. Okay. When, when John the Baptist was baptizing people, they were identifying with his message. John the Baptist's baptism was not Christian baptism. It was a baptism unto repentance. When a person is baptized unto Christ, 
He is identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why this baptism is such a beautiful thing because it is a depiction of Jesus dying, being buried as we go under the water, and being raised up in newness of life. It's a beautiful picture. Let's go to the next slide. Baptism does qualify as an ordinance. Number one, Jesus commanded it in Matthew 28. We've already read it, so I'm not going to read it again. It is practiced in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls got saved, and they were baptized. <laughs> Don't you know Peter's back was tired that day? <laughs> I only did five, and I'm hurting. No, I'm just kidding. That Y'all didn't hurt me. I'm already wounded. <laughs> um, Acts chapter 8, Philip preaches the gospel in Samaria. They get baptized. Uh, Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul got baptized. Now listen, Paul saw Jesus on the Damascus road, but yet he still got baptized. Jesus Christ was baptized. So tell me why you're too good to get baptized. Have any of you seen Jesus? No? All right, I'm going to have to quit meddling like this. Y'all are just getting mad the more I preach along these lines. But Paul got baptized in Acts chapter 9. By the way, if you're scared to get baptized, ask any of these folks that just got baptized if you can survive it. It feels good, don't it? Trinity, you feel good? Sister Darlene, you feel good? Yeah, you feel clean? Warren, feel good? Amen. And I'm not just talking about the temperature of the water. I'm talking about when you obey the Lord, it feels good. Amen. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. All right. Um, I'm going to keep reading some of these for those that don't have the visual, those who are listening on uh, the radio and uh, podcast. Acts chapter 16. A Philippian jailer in the house of Lydia was baptized. Acts chapter 18, the believers in Corinth were baptized. Acts chapter 19, the believers in Ephesus were baptized. It is expounded upon in the epistles. Let's look in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So those of you that got baptized today, when the devil comes to you and starts telling you, you're just the same as you always were, you need to tell the devil, no, that man died in the baptismal pool. He's dead. Some of you need, some, you know, we live in a world that's all about identity, isn't it? I identify as this or I identify as that. Christians need to start identifying the way the Bible says that we need to identify that if you're saved, 
You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hey, I'm not what I want to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. God's still working on me. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the old man tries to come up out of the cellar, doesn't he? We have to get, you know, knock him back down. But, but uh, I'm a new person. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Which as I'm scrolling, I see it's after Ephesians <laughs> and after Philippians. Colossians 2, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the, the faith of the operation of God. So you see, it's a spiritual thing. It's not the water. Who has raised him from the dead? All right. The formula, and some folks get hung up on this. The, the United Pentecostal Church is also called a Jesus-only church. You may have heard of them. And they say, well, if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus, because in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And they say, well, if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus, it doesn't count. But to be baptized in the name of Jesus is to do it the way Jesus told you to do it. And in Matthew 28, Jesus told us how to do it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So to baptize in Jesus' name is to do it the way he told you to do it. Also, it doesn't say baptize in Jesus' name only. They get hung Folks, if you're not careful, you'll get hung up on something. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. Let's go to the next slide. All right, here's where some of you are going to look at me uh, cross-eyed or angry or whatever. The biblical mode of baptism is immersion. The primary meaning of the Greek word baptizo, which means to baptize, is to immerse. You may not realize this, and believe it or not, I didn't until this week. Now, I didn't learn it just this morning. It was earlier in the week. <laughs> but baptism, there's no English word for baptism. It's not a true English word. It's a transliteration. Real brief translation is actually translating one word, the meaning of it, to another. Transliteration is a word that sounds similar to it. There's no English word for baptism. It's a transliteration of the word baptismos in Greek. The word in Greek means immersion, plain and simple. Immersion is the best way of describing the normal meaning of the words into and out of. In the Bible, you'll read they went in the water and they went out, came up out of the water. Let's look in uh, Matthew 3. Look with me, if you will. And again, I'm not picking on anybody. I just want you to know why we do what we do and what the Bible says about it. Because ultimately, it don't matter what your denomination teaches. It matters what the Bible says. Matthew 3, verse 16. You know John 3, 16. Do you know Matthew 3, 16? Well, you will after today. 
says then Jesus, and Jesus, when he was baptized, did what? Went up straightway out of the water. That means he went into the water. That means John didn't sprinkle him. John didn't pour on him. He went down into the water, and he came up out of the water, meaning he had been immersed. And the heavens were opened, and I'll, you know, you, you know the rest of the verse there. Look with me in John 3. Look with me in John 3. This is a very compelling argument here. John 3, verse 22. It says, After these things came Jesus unto his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salam. Why? Because there was what? If he's sprinkling, he don't need a lot of water. Right? If he's pouring, he don't need a lot of water. Y'all remember that little Brill Cream ad years ago? A little dabble, do you? John didn't think a little dabble, do you? He needed to be where there was a lot of water because he was practicing immersion. Are y'all okay with this kind of teaching? Good. The Greek has words for pouring and sprinkling. They're not used in correlation to <laughs> baptism. Rantizo is the Greek word for sprinkling and I can't remember the word for pouring but neither one of them are used for baptism okay next slide guys thank you immersion best pictures the death burial and resurrection motif the Jewish practice was always immersion this was a Jewish custom okay so John the Baptist is carrying on the way the Jews would do it the disciples would do it the way the Jews would do it. The practice of pouring did not begin until the second century. Do you know that? You do now. And it was only when someone was physically unable to be baptized, when they were on their deathbed. And even then, I read that they were still fully poured, not just on the head. They poured them all over. Okay? So... There was a lady, I passed her, she was terminally ill, and uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago. And I remember they had a special device that they brought into her hospital room that lowered her down into the water, and I just, it was such a touching, such a touching thing. But that's how the practice of pouring began. Sprinkling didn't happen until the 12th century. So it's a relatively new idea. Now, the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, those folks don't speak Latin. They speak Greek. So they understand that the word baptize means to immerse. But they do it a little different. The Greek Orthodox Church baptizes you three times. They immerse you three times. So out of the five that were baptized this morning, I, I shorted you two. I can make it up to you after the service if you want me to. <laughs> so presumably, it's one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. But All right. The only biblical mode of baptism is immersion. 
I mean, that's it. Next slide, please. Is there one before that? Thank you. All right, who, who should be baptized? Well, not babies. The reason being, babies can't make an, a decision to identify. And I could linger on that and preach about other things, but I won't. But an infant can't make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. An infant doesn't understand death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They can't. Now, they're precious, but they don't understand that. There's no command in the New Testament to baptize babies. Not one. Not one single command to baptize babies. Now, we dedicate them. But in actuality, that's kind of more for the parent than it is for the child. But, but we don't baptize them because there's no biblical basis for it. You would think if, there was, if this was something God wanted us to do, there would be at least one case where a baby got baptized, and there's not. Now, there are cases where the Bible says that so-and-so in their household was baptized. Okay? But if me and my household were baptized, there wouldn't be any babies. It would be adults. And I dare say the majority of us in here, if your household was baptized, it would be adults. It would be people who, and I could really go through all that with you if you're interested in hashing that kind of thing out. Uh, not today, but come see me during the week sometime, and, we'll, and I'll go through all that with you. In the cases where the households were baptized, there's, there's strong indication that the people in the household were mature believers, that they were able to to make that decision. Uh, the early church did not practice infant baptism. Didn't take place until around the 3rd century. Now here's the biggest issue with infant baptism. In the churches that, that their tradition preaches infant baptism, once you're baptized, you're a member of that church. The problem is, you grow up as a member of that church, and if you hadn't received Jesus Christ, you're an unsaved member of the church. It forestalls a personal commitment in Jesus Christ. A good friend of mine, uh, he may be watching this, I don't know. I won't mention his name. good friend of mine, uh, his father's a Presbyterian minister. And, uh, and he was baptized when he was a baby. And he came to me and he said, would you be willing to baptize me? Because I feel like now that I've come to faith in Jesus Christ, I need to be baptized. And I said, yeah, I'll be glad to. Because his church would not allow him to be baptized because his, his infant baptism, they said, would still. Um, so that's the biggest problem is that infant baptism produces unregenerated church members. And let me tell you what, it's hard enough to pastor a church with saved people. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide, and this will be the last one, guys. Look with me in Acts chapter 2.
Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a powerful sermon, one of the greatest sermons ever recorded in the Word of God. Now, in verse 37, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were, the King James says, they were pricked in their heart. They said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, that's, that's the response that the gospel brings. The gospel confronts you to make a choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to accept what Jesus said? Am I going to accept him and respond in faith? Or am I going to go and reject? And what did Peter say unto them? Repent and be baptized. He did not say be baptized and repent. The order is important. What does it mean to repent? To turn away. To change your, the, the Greek word is metanoia. The simplest definition of repent is to change your mind. It's a change of mind which results then in a change of action, a change of heart. Repent and be baptized. And notice in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they were already believers. They had accepted the gospel. They had received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in doing so, they became a candidate for water baptism. All right? So this is just a little primer here. Maybe you learned something. Maybe you didn't. But baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. It is one of the two ordinances of the Lord, along with the Lord's Supper. It is a command. It is done in act, an act of obedience. Not for salvation, but as an act of obedience. It qualifies as an ordinance because it was commanded by Jesus, it was practiced in the book of Acts, and it was expanded upon in the epistles. And the method of baptism, the only biblical way, and don't get mad at me, if you have not been baptized by immersion, you have not been baptized the biblical way. I'm not telling you what you need to do or not do. But I'm saying as far as the Bible is concerned, if you have not been immersed and they've not spoken unto you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you've not been baptized the biblical way. Okay. Now the good news is you can be if you want to be. And this pool is full right here and I'll go change clothes if somebody wants to. And I'll stay here and wait on you to have somebody bring you a towel or something if we need to. But... And, and finally, remember this, that, that repentance always precedes baptism. I'm baptized not to get saved, but because I am saved. It is an outward evidence of the inward, inward reality that I have died with Christ. <laughs> My old man has been crucified. And just as Christ came back from the dead, I too have been raised in newness of life. Amen. Would you stand? You may be here today, you've never taken that first step of faith. You say, well, my faith is a private thing. That's not biblical either. Jesus died on a cross for all the world to see. He died and he bore the ridicule. He bore the shame that, does, that, that rightly belonged to you and I. He took it himself, our sins on his, in his body, on that tree. He died. 
The content of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says that this is the gospel, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose the third day according to the scriptures. And if you believe that in your heart, you confess with your mouth. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This altar is open. Would you come? Thank you.